The streets of the small Ohio town were slick with cold rain as the man in the long coat and wide-brimmed hat ran down them. His long legs were burning with the effort and his lungs seared as he panted. The night had been quiet before, but when the howl of a hellhound broke his peaceful thoughts, he knew that danger lurked near. The man didn't try to dampen his booted footfalls. There was no point in trying to hide from his hunter. He rounded a corner and stopped dead. His angled, dark eyebrows caved into a glare. At the end of the alley stood the hunter, Aron, and his shadow of a hound, fiery teeth bared. You run a good race, Ildana, the older man said, his voice a deep echo in the quiet streets. For too many years have you kept me out of this world. My dogs are hungry for mortal souls. It is the way of life. Why not let me go where I will, talking, taking whom I will? Why do you hinder me? Eldonach swallowed, trying to calm himself. You take them before their time. Jennifer was not ready to die. She had years left. Annoyance flooded with him as his voice shook a little. He could not show weakness now. He had to stay strong, protect this side of the vale where the mortals lived. It, was, it has been my pleasure these last thousand years to ensure you don't take a single soul before it's time. Hello and welcome back to the Guild Podcast, the podcast of the Writers, Artists, and Readers Guild. Um, my name is Chris Mary Holtzman, and I am your host. Um, I've had a little bit of a hiatus, mostly because I've been a little bit uh, under the weather, plus it's been vacation, and maybe I should have announced that we were going on vacation. Uh, it kind of happened organically because people aren't as available uh, this time of year during the summer. But I'm hoping and trusting that you've had a good summer, that you're keeping safe out there. Um, last time I teased that we had some news coming up and there is some news personally. Uh, I have news and that is that my first novel, The Face of Fear, will be coming out shortly from Breaking Rules Publishing. That's exciting. Get more into that later. Maybe even actually have a podcast that is only about that release. Because I don't want to take away anything from, from our guest today. Uh, secondly, we have two, at least two, uh, new podcasts coming out. Uh, kind of like sub-imprints to this podcast. The Guild After Dark, uh, where Tim Mendes sits down with uh, various writers uh, in a kind of no-frills interview situation. A pub setting in, uh, thing. Uh, and then... David Green and I will be doing our podcast called Easing the Reader, a reading of The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan, where we sit and discuss uh, chapters, probably about five chapters each time uh, from Eye of the World. Uh, but more about that uh, at a different time. And as they come out, <clears throat> keep an eye open for those at least. Our guest today is the uh, brains behind Summerstorm Publishing, 
She's a writer. Uh, she is a Twitch uh, stream content creator. It's uh, Abigail uh, Lindhart, and uh, she is a great person to talk to. Uh, and we polish off a lot of different things. Uh, but without further ado, because I've taken up uh, enough of your time, let's talk to Abigail. I would like to, at this time, uh, welcome Abigail Linhart to the show, the uh, owner, entrepreneur, runner of uh, Summerstorm Press. Welcome to The Guild, the podcast. Thank you so much. I've listened to some of your episodes. I really like them. Thank you. That's, uh, that's nice. It's, uh, it's just, I, I started it because I wanted to find out how other people work, how they write and what they do. So it's very much, uh, you know, something for me as well as other people to kind of, uh, you know, get the tips and tricks of what, what, uh, what, uh, how other people do it. And I think it's the interesting part. I don't know how you came into writing and uh, we'll talk about that in a, in a moment here, but from what I understand, this is the vehicle that a lot of people use that they use social media to, to learn how to write. When I started, a lot of times it was you take classes or you read the books. Mm-hmm. But so many people that I've talked to have like never read a book on writing and have never gone to any creative writing class. So um, that's an interesting aspect. How did you get into writing? Um, definitely the classical way. But as a, an English instructor myself, I've also run into people who are like, I, I've never read a book. And I was like, don't they still have you do that in high school? How did you graduate? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the, the classical way. I was actually homeschooled okay. um, mm-hmm. all through, uh, you know, K through high school and um, reading was mandatory. <laughs> um, all the greats, you know, we started with Tolkien and the Odyssey and the Iliad and um, then I wanted to read the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> um, so yeah, it just, it was always there. We always read things like Aesop's Fables, Grimm's Brothers, um, or Grimm Brothers, sorry. Um, you know, all the classics. Mm-hmm. And so just having it always there has made it really part of my life. And I kind of miss it when I'm not reading or writing something. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. And I think we we come a little bit from the same place. I was not I wasn't homeschooled, but I mean I started out. I read Lewis before I read Tolkien, but I mean <laughs> I was I was raised on the old stuff, Grimm's fairy tales, uh, even Charles Perrault, you know, Thumbelina mm-hmm. and, and 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 that whole thing, uh, and Edith Nesbitt. And I think Nesbitt was oh, yeah. my first introduction to the world of fantasy because she goes between fantasy and and folk tales yeah and so that that was i think what what got me into that in entire world <clears throat> so when so did you um i mean being homeschooled isn't that how does i don't even know how that how that works and a lot of people are talking about it now because of uh, the pandemic and people are keeping their kids at home mm-hmm. how is that from a from the perspective of, of a child how is it to be homeschooled um, 
So like most people, I think it did contribute to my social anxiety uh, growing up. Um, but I did have a lot of brothers and sisters, and I was raised in the Midwest, in uh, the American Midwest on a small farm. So homeschooling was, you know, the only option because we had to get up and take care of the crops and take care mm. of the livestock. And um, it, it was a great upbringing. And honestly, I wouldn't trade it for anything as far as <laughs> I know. Um, but it was... Um, you know, we were left not necessarily to our own devices. My mom had a planner. She um, scheduled us for tests and quizzes, and she always read all of our textbooks. And I had eight brothers and sisters, so she was teaching a lot of grades at the same time. <laughs> She's an extremely educated woman. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's good because I think a lot of times, I think, because I, I have friends that are, that homeschool now and I think a lot of times and I have friends who have homeschooled actually relatives mm -hmm. who have homeschooled because of uh, their mm -hmm. religious beliefs mm. and there you can see that there's a big like hole in mm -hmm. in their their knowledge of more mundane things mm -hmm. I think that's always the danger yeah it, uh, it depends on where you're coming from and um Really, um, I don't really know a lot about other people's, you know, beliefs or politics, but I think so long as you can take the standardized tests and you can pass and you're a functioning human in society, should be okay, hopefully, <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> so the writing part, where did that, where did that come in? I mean, the fantasy reading, obviously, and just like, probably like me, you write what you're used to reading. Is yeah. that what happened? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've tried to dabble in chiclet. Um, I tried to write a romance, and then it came out as a urban sword and sorcery, and I was like, <laughs> well, I tried. <laughs> um, but it all started with my oldest brother, um, who actually passed away a couple years ago. Um, when he was very small, he wrote some book by hand when he was about 11 and it had chapters in it and my mom just gushed about it and so then me of course I was like well I can do that too <laughs> and, and um unfortunately it was kind of born out of um jealousy and parental mm -hmm. approval uh but and then it, it turned out I liked it and um and I wasn't too shabby at it and to this day my mom still does support all my writing and tries her best to read what I write even though it's not her genre no no that I mean and that, I think that's the the, the strange part because I mean I wrote I started out as a fantasy writer or what it, what mm -hmm. my goal was and then realized that I was fairly good at de or fairly decent at writing horror at least in short uh. fiction form and I don't consider myself a horror writer, although I seem to surround myself with only horror writers. Yeah. I understand that. I have um, one uh, fairly decently recognized literary award from Ohio, and it's for a horror story I wrote, mm -hmm. and I haven't written horror since. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think my greatest accomplishment before uh any of the things that have happened this year was also winning like a a literary contest and for a horror story <laughs> and i was just like well okay i guess this is where i'm at yeah <laughs> you just have to accept it <laughs> yeah but i mean if you look at it and i look at it because i'm a, a literary scholar 
that, that is my what I'm educated as the one mm. to school for with a major in fantasy and a minor in horror that the horror and oh. fantasy sh- genres are con- so so intimately connected mm-hmm. I mean if you look at it from a historical timeline uh, fantasy kind of is born out of the gothic horror mm. genre so I mean I think we, we can use that as an excuse <laughs> definitely <laughs> they and they intertwine and I love the subgenres that have been born out of it like grimdark fantasy mm. Um, and some fantasy is dabbling a little more in some Lovecraftian yeah. horror, which I, I think is a great blend. Yeah, and I think I think the good part with with the fantasy genre is that you can, as you say, you can dabble in a, a bunch of different subgenres mm-hmm. and then still be a fantasy writer because you don't want to. Sometimes you don't want to do the high fantasy; you just want to do a mm-hmm. blood and guts, mm-hmm. violent thing, and then you have sword and sorcery. Yes, I, I have... love sword and sorcery very much. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to care about uh, if you're misogynistic or not because you can always hide behind the fact that it's sword and sorcery. I've even as a woman, I have been accused of being misogynistic. And and, and, and that's so so interesting. What you, you delve a little bit deeper into that? What what was what was the reasoning behind that? Um, in a book I have coming out soon, um, that I do have a scene where a woman is basically killed and she's naked and she's bloody and, um, but she comes out the other end better for it. Um, you know, and she gets these powers and, um, someone read some, uh, a close friend of mine read that chapter and she was like, but why does she have to be naked? Like, why is this happening? And I was, I, I don't, it, it's horrifying. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think the desired effect is still there. And as a woman, you know, it's when you're writing, you're thinking, well, what makes me vulnerable? Well, nudity is always vulnerable, (laughs) no matter how you're slicing it in in cinema or literature. Um, But it just, it never occurred to me that it was degrading. And I figured as as a woman, it would be okay if I wrote it, but apparently not. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the thing. Would it have been degrading if it was a man that was naked? I mean, probably that would have been, you know, just as horrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think that's a desired effect because I think what, and what I try to convince people with all the time, no matter if you're writing fantasy or what, what kind of genre you're, you're writing, there has to be a high degree of believability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem with sword and sorcery, at least if you look at Howard's and Fritz mm-hmm. Leiber's style of sword and sorcery, there isn't a high degree of believability in it they're not people that we can relate we can't relate to conan um but if uh because he's so uh, yeah he, he is who he is but uh if i was reading one a swedish fantasy uh, story called black fire or black i wouldn't i don't i guess that's what it would be translated as uh where they have a scene where a boy is basically uh raped by his foster father who is a blacksmith mm-hmm. and you can kind of think of well was this necessary because it doesn't actually mm-hmm. move the story along it's something that happens but it also b- shows that there's there's poverty and there's misery in this little village where mm-hmm. this boy lives and in reality that is that's the kind of thing that happens right yeah so somewhere between the lines of does it move the story forward is it necessary and well, this is just what happens in these kinds of 
um, you know, living situations. Mm. Yeah, because we can't all be like Terran uh, from the Black Cauldron, who is basically a swine herd that finds a sword and can all, all of a sudden use it to defeat the powers of darkness. Right. That's not believable. <laughs> right. Because in a in a real story, and if it was grim dark, he would probably died in the first, the first first sign of a of a villain. Yeah, and and then if he would have been a, a stronger character, probably would have come back as something undead. But yes. that would be a different story. <laughs> uh, so, um, when did you decide that you wanted to write professionally, or that you wanted to give your hand at uh, at trying to get stuff published? Um, it actually wasn't until I was about 18 or 19, um, which is interesting because I'd been writing a lot since then. I'd finished two terrible novels <laughs> <laughs> um, by then. And um, I don't know, it just came to me one day. I was probably like, I don't know, washing dishes or something. And it just hit me really hard. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I have to do that. I don't know why, but I have to. And that, like, it sounds like something out of a fantasy novel, <laughs> um, which is very appropriate. But it wasn't an incident. It was just me going about my day one day and realizing that it was something I absolutely had to do. And then what, when, after, I mean, how did you, because I've understood, and even it has to do with like kind of like the horror, uh, contra, <laughs> fantasy, and, and other genre fiction um, genres, is that it seems to me that horror, for instance, uh, horror anthologies, horror publishers is a lot more abundant than mm, yeah. fantasy. Would you agree? I, I would definitely agree. And um, it's something I actually thought about a lot while I was designing the brand around Summer Storm. I was like, you know, that this pink and purple is <laughs> not, not going to fit in with, you know, everyone I follow and everyone who I know and what they're writing. Um, but I had to go with it just because it was something I liked. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would definitely agree. And I don't, I don't know if it's because it's easier, which I, I would say it's not. I mm. sat down and tried to write, um, a short horror story uh, for two horror anthologies recently, and I didn't finish it in time for the first one. So I was like, "Well, uh, I, you know, I missed the deadline. I'll finish it and send it to this next one." And and it's still not finished. I have the outline and I have the title, but like I can't get it done. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, it's not because it's easier <laughs> <laughs> or anything. Um, and um, I. I think it comes down to the human psychology and just wanting to be sensationalized when mm -hmm. reading. Um, it's really good entertainment. Um, and that's not to say I know in, you know, the literary academic circles, which is where I run mostly, unfortunately, um, if it's entertainment, it's bad writing, which is not true. No. Um, so not to, yeah, not to belittle the horror genre at all. It is very pulpy and it is very saturated. And it's very big right now. But that's because it's successful, not mm. because it's bad. <laughs> yeah, and I think we, I speculated, I can't remember, one of the podcasts, uh, interviews, interviews that I did, I think it might have been with uh, Anne-Marie Lowe, um, was that we talked about the horror tradition in, mm. in Anglo-Saxon literature, that it seems, and especially American literature, it seems like horror is 
mm. is the, the the choice of America. Here in Sweden, it's crime fiction. You can't ah. you can't uh, spin a dead cat by its tail without hitting a crime fiction writer here. <laughs> so talk about oversaturated market, and I think it's the same a little bit with England. But I mean, you look at the traditions. You have um, Who's Afraid of the Dark. Mm. You have Goosebumps. Uh, Stephen King, Lovecraft, Matheson. So I think there is. A, I think that there seems to be, yes, an oversaturation, but there also seems to still be a pull for mm. horror. Oh yes, definitely. And you see that even in um, big successful uh, media like um, cinema. I, Stephen King has had so many movies recently yeah. come out again, and um, <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely, definitely still a viable market. Mm. Whereas fantasy definitely has struggles still. I mean, you'd think that there would have been a big boom of success after Lord of the Rings, mm. but there there wasn't. And I think it, a lot of times because people just couldn't, budget-wise, couldn't compete mm -hmm. with what the Lord of the what Lord of the Rings was. I mean, you've seen all this, and, and I think we talked about that on on the launch where the MTV's Shannara. Show or or even Earth Sea. I can't remember who I think it was TVS maybe tried to do Earth Sea. I don't remember who did Earth Sea. I remember liking it as as a younger person, but then I read the book. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah it's uh, it's weird and, and and all of that and we'll see what happens with Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time that is coming. Uh, there there's other things coming. I think Robin Hobb and I don't know. Yeah, but, Robin Hobb has something, and uh, and then of course Amazon is doing the yeah. Lord of the Rings, and we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, and I think a lot of times that kind of devalues fantasy as a genre, because all these unsuccessful and poorly made. I remember watching, I think the first Dragonlance uh, oh. book was made into an animated movie with Kiefer Sutherland. Yes. And it's horrible. Yes. <laughs> oh. And I just asked myself, why? Why did this have to be made? I, I think I, I want to say it comes from a place of good intentions and no budget. But at the same time, I'm not sure because of changes and aesthetics that are made. Um, I, I, I don't know what the psychology behind it is. <laughs> I think I think I mean, I think you're, you're right. I'm not thinking that people, that they do these things or they produce these things to torture us. <laughs> I think of that every time I, I see someone talk about the uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yeah, oh, horrible. I, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Sometimes I felt when I saw the first one, because I've seen, I think, three of them. I don't know if there are more, but I think there's three. Sounds about right. I've only seen two. So. Yeah. <laughs> And I don't know why I decided I wanted to come back for more when I sat down <laughs> to watch the third one. But, uh, I mean, I thought this is somebody's adventure. Somebody mm -hmm. somebody played this, mm -hmm. and they had a fairly decent dungeon master, but it was more like buddies, and they thought, hey, this was a lot of fun. Let's make this into a movie script. Because <laughs> we've all been there. Anybody who's played... Oh, yeah played role-playing games have been there just like this was so awesome we should make that, this into a movie that is something i have to tell um any writers that i mentor um because a lot of them do 
you know, talk to me because I write in lit RPG and I am a dungeon master and, you know, I've done all that my whole life. And so they're like, oh, someone who understands. And they're like, okay, so we had this great campaign. And I'm like, no, <laughs> do not, do not write that. I'm so sorry. And I'm sure it was great and it was wonderful, but you, you can't write your campaign into a high fantasy novel. No. There, you know, take some elements, maybe, maybe the character, change them around a bit. Maybe a plot twist, but um, that is one of my cardinal rules: is do not write your D and D campaign or your Pathfinder campaign or your Warhammer campaign <laughs> anything into um, a novel. No, no, and I um, I've used characters, definitely, mm-hmm. um, friends who, and then I've used my actual the the people who who played those characters or cr- developed those characters ah. are part of the characters as well their traits mm-hmm. are in oh, there absolutely. and i think that i think you can you can do but never you can't you can't uh, steal a whole com- campaign and, and think that that's going to turn into i think we have three dungeons and dragons movies that prove that that's not possible <laughs> not a good idea <laughs> not a good idea so there's so you've been part of the rpg community uh, for a long time, I, I, I take. When were you introduced to Dungeons and Dragons at first? Um, Dungeons and Dragons, not till much later in life. Um, but I, I had six brothers, and we played this game called Hero Quest. Mm, I have one up. up on in the attic, actually, <laughs> missing a, a couple of key figures, so I can't really yeah. play it anymore. <laughs> well, we, we, you know, we started with that, and then it transformed into our own game as we kept going you know we Mm. beat the initial campaign and it is the same thing every time but we just kept building onto it we had you know all kinds of homebrew like merchants and cities and it just it really got away from us (laughs) um and then um about a year and a half ago actually is when i gathered up my siblings and said all right we're playing D&D, like enough of this like weird stuff. Like let's actually figure out, you know, where we came from. Okay. Now that, that's cool. Yeah. I've been an RPG player and LARPer, even though my <laughs> siblings uh, tend to make fun of me for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm very blessed to have <laughs> siblings with the same uh, interests. Yeah. Uh, anytime there's, I think there's a, there's an episode of what we do in the shadows where they eat LARPers because mm. they're virgins. So that, of course, <laughs> my, my, my siblings and even my sister-in-law have to tag me in that episode. I oh, watch this episode. It's really good. <laughs> but it's, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I've done that my entire life. And I think that's kind of where, where I think I got my, my desire to write fantasy. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's really... DMing the last you know couple years and has really helped me become a better storyteller mm-hmm. and writing has also helped me become a better DM. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that I that I can definitely understand and I think the the last few years that I actually played and I didn't DM myself because I've only really DM'd. Uh, there's a game here called Mutant, which takes is like a cyberpunk Whoa. RPG. So Very cool. in our group we would DM. We, we were all like, you do this one, you do chill, you do cult, you do science fiction one, and you do Dungeons and Dragons. We all had our specialties. But I think the, the last couple of years, I think we did mostly horror RPG. And I think maybe that is where I kind of got the, uh, 
on the the psychology for writing horror. Oh, okay, yeah, very cool. Getting uh, more in depth there and having to put yourself into those stories. Yeah. The, the beats of horror are, are different. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool. And we had a really good uh, DM. Unfortunately, he passed a couple of years ago, but he would tell it like a story. He wouldn't. Mm. He wouldn't say you're on the path. He would set it up as a story, and then you would tell him what you wanted to do, and then he incorporated that in his storytelling. Like he was, he was the 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 narrator the whole time. Oh, that's really cool. That I like that style. Yeah, and that was very. I could never do that. I just I I couldn't do that. But he was very good at it. Um, yeah. So and so, when did you get your first things published then? Um, uh, around. 18 or 19 when I decided to get published. Um, I, um, so yeah, uh, around 18 or 19 when I had that impulse, um, I fell in with a scam publisher, mm. um, and, uh, they made me sign a contract for seven years. Whoa. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, their whole deal was to basically make their authors buy copies. They had zero marketing and um, but yeah, so, uh, they wanted their authors to buy their copies. They did no editing, which of course I didn't know, mm. um, they didn't do, um, and which is really terrible, uh, because then they sent me the proofs for the inside and they said, see if any changes need to be made. And I read it and, um, I mean, you know, I'd done some self-editing as good as an 18 year old yeah. English major could do. And I was like, wait, no, like there's like typos in here and it's so horrible. And so I, I had to go through and make this list of changes. And then they sent me back a snarky email that said, well, it's clear this hasn't been professionally edited and we're only going to make some of the changes. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, okay. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know that I just so much, I didn't know. Um, but I don't, uh, I try not to talk about that book. You can still find it on Amazon, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, so it, it was a very terrible first experience, um, and in the contract, I was not allowed to publish with anyone else. Um, so then I spent those seven years getting my degrees. Um, I still wrote a ton. I worked on a couple literary magazines while I was going to uh, university, and um, you know, then when it was over, I was like, "All right, thank you. That that's it. <laughs> Goodbye." <laughs> um, and then uh, for the last couple of years, um, publishing and working with a bunch of publishers all over the globe, it turns out, yeah. um, has actually been really good. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's interesting. Could they, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that that publisher even lasted seven years with such they, like a horrible deal. <laughs> they did disappear for a while and everybody, you know, in message boards, you know, back in message board days, mm -hmm. um, you know, trash talked them and it's like, oh, well, you know, I wish I had known this before. I didn't have high speed internet though, so I couldn't <laughs> see out the information. Um, but uh, yeah, they've since changed their name and rebranded and I did do a Google search on them the other day and they're still there, so. Okay. Yeah, well, we're not uh, in the business of bad mouthing other yeah, companies exactly. and, and, so. and maybe they've, um, Maybe they've seen the errors of their ways. But I mean, and I can relate to that because when I decided that I wanted to, to, to you know, try to get published as well, uh, right in that time frame, 
as when I was deciding that there was a lot of horrible stories coming out about a lot of publishers like not paying their authors, bad mouthing their authors, you know, talking crap about them, making fun of them and stuff like that. And there were quite a few that that folded because of that. It was kind of like a Me Too movement within wow. at least the horror press. Mm-hmm. Um, and that um, so that can kind of um, maybe a little jittery, but I mean, luckily I've been lucky so far to deal with. And then I understand. I mean, with the pandemic and hurricanes and riots <laughs> going on everywhere. Uh, that maybe a publisher does have not have that much time to put stuff out in time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, part of the, the philosophy behind me starting Summer Storm Press was to make sure that we are building a supportive community um, to try not to avoid that, but to educate, um, you know, on this is how you need to interact with other authors, other writers, editors, publishers, you know, we're all in this together, like no one's in competition. It's um, fostering a community of genuine support, critique, and, you know, education is one of the things I'm striving for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sounds nice. Let me, and I figure we could probably slide into the whole summer storm uh, press and, and uh, the idea, the philosophy behind it. Now, when did you exactly decide that you this is uh, that you wanted to start a publishing house? Um, so, almost a year ago um, is when I was tossing around the idea. I did a few things um, under the name Summer Storm, um, but this year, so you know, right when everything <laughs> horrible started happening was when I was like this, you know, this is my year. And I remember talking to my friend on the phone during New Year's. I said, this is my year. This is when it's all coming together. <laughs> oh, how little did I know? <laughs> um, January was a good month, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I told her everything I was doing. And then I started drafting the website, coming up with my brand, writing legal and contracts, which is horrible, by the way. Yeah. Writing legal is awful. <laughs> um, so this year, and um, then finally was able to launch everything. I had a bunch of moves and stuff in the middle of the spring, and um, so a lot of stuff got put on hold. Um, but, you know, I treated it like a full-time job and worked, you know, 30, 40 hours over the weekend to – get everything ready and i'm i think the launch went pretty well yeah i would uh, agree i was uh honored to be be part of it be there and want to uh, look at it um also david green sends his yes. regards oh excellent <laughs> i spoke to him today and said i was going to talk to you um so he was uh, he was very psyched about that yeah, I'm really eager to re- to meet new authors and read what other people are writing, and mm. it's it's so exciting. Um, that's probably going to be one of my favorite things about starting the press is just meeting more writers because writers are really cool people. Yeah, and yeah, and I think and I early on I was talking to um, I can't remember it was another publisher for I think it might have been uh, Michelle River of Erie River Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, who also launched i mean this year and mm-hmm. and so but we were talking about the supportiveness of 
of because my in my experience before actually I delved in, in, into it even deeper, my experience was always that the horror community was very supportive, whereas yeah. the fantasy community was less. Mostly because I didn't have any contact, and and those ho- uh, fantasy authors that I did have contact with, very, you know, kind of, not introverted. I think that's the the wrong word, but very. This, I mean, not not so not so eager to 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 help out, to guide and help out and stuff like that. You're not wrong. Um, you're definitely not wrong. Um, and I think that's why uh, I've struggled a lot as a writer trying to find support um, because everyone's writing an epic fantasy mm. and everyone's a little snobby. Um, <laughs> and uh, I know I've definitely come off as pretentious before and, and you know, I try to not do that. But really, um, my big break into the writing community in the last two years was um, – this little tiny e-magazine uh, called Sirens Call. And mm. they published some of my work and I just, I friended a bunch of the writers, you know, on social media and followed them. And like everything just exploded for me then once I got into that horror community and had yeah. some stuff published with them. And um, it was just like, th- this is great. And it's definitely planted some really good roots. Yeah. Yeah. And that exactly, that's exactly what happened for me. You know, uh, I got into the the horror community, uh, the Author Alliance, which is a group on Facebook, which basically mostly horror authors, really. Um, and you know, you just you talk to the right people, um, the supportive people who are eager to like say you should talk to this person, this person, and this person, and then then you're off and running. I think. Yeah. Uh, but I've you know there's a couple of fantasy. Uh, authors out there that are good. I mean, David Green obviously is one of them. He's a, he's a good guy, and Derek Power, both uh, Irishmen. They're they're good people. I don't know if it's yeah, the Irishness. I've, uh, I've run into a couple. Um, Kate Seeger at Tarina Anthologies is ridiculously supportive, and her little uh, her group um, and her press um, are also fostering a really good community of fantasy writers um, that I think is a rare find. Mm. Yeah, and actually in my hometown of uh, in Wisconsin, uh, I have the uh, I'm, I'm lucky to I'm blessed to to live in the same city as Bradley Boyer, who is a an epic fantasy author, and oh. and he's very he's very supportive. Although he does, I mean, he disappears into his own world a lot. I think that's kind <laughs> of what you do. I mean, you're writing, yeah. you know, when it becomes your because he lost his job at IBM and then decided I'm just going to focus on on writing and luckily he, he got he had just gotten his first um, book published with a big publishing house like not an indie wow. press and I wow. think he has to do it because that's how his family survives mm-hmm. wow yeah so that, that's I mean that's a different thing and I think maybe that Peter Beagle was su- is super supportive as well and he doesn't have to be but um, so so now you've started Summerstorm uh, Press. Was it wasn't because you yourself? Because I've talked to other publishers who said like, "Well, I wasn't. I didn't like how other publishing houses did it. So I decided, well, I'll just publish myself, and then I'll help others get published." Um, was that that wasn't part of your plan? It was more or less like I want to just build a whole community of fantasy authors. I unfortunately like that is part of it, but 
that became part of it. When I initially started planning, it was all about education and help and offering services. Um, and then, I, I mean, recently I have had not great experiences, and so it was kind of just added to the list. Mm. Um, you know, but uh, best laid plans, you know, I'm, I'm not big yet I, or, you know, big as some of the others, the other micro presses. And, you know, maybe I don't know. I, I don't know what they what you know, how they operate, what they go through, you know, how many people are trying to contact them a day. Um, so, you know, they could be coming from a, a place of honesty where, you know, I really, you know, it's one person. I just can't contact and babysit everybody, no. um, you know, so maybe they're coming from a place I don't understand. Um, but unfortunately it did get added to the list. Um, but that's not in my, uh, um, my mission statement or anything like that. Hmm. So what do you have, uh, what does Summer Storm Press have coming up? What, I mean, what are the plans? Are you, are you going to be strictly a fantasy press or are you going to try to venture? No. no? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, so I have a a five-year plan, you know, if everything works out, um, and if everything works out this year, then I know the next four (laughs) years are going to be cake. (laughs) Yeah. Um, um, but no, I have plans uh, to do, um, I want to do a Western imprint. Mm-hmm. I like Westerns. I know it's not big, um, but I love Westerns. And, you know, if I personally love a project, then I'll work hard for it and hopefully mm-hmm. it'll be good. Um, but I want to do a Western imprint and I want to do um, like a kind of a crime noir imprint as well. So those are the two I have on the horizon right yeah. now. Um. And I mean, and they'd be like subprints to Summerstorm Press, or I mean, would they have different names, or would they be be just incorporated into Summerstorm? Um, they would be incorporated into it, but they would be, um, you know, uh, like an like an imprint. So they'll have their own, um, hopefully, their own team, mm-hmm. um, people who are more into that genre than I am. Um, I don't know what I would call them, um, that, but yeah, they'll have they'll kind of be their own separate entities. Mm. I mean, Summer Storm Noir is works just as well. <laughs> that does sound pretty cool. I yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean Western. I think I'm fascinated by Western, and I did write a Western style. Um, actually, interesting part. I I, I did for like a contest, a literary contest, which I haven't heard back from yet. Um, like a kind of like a survi- survival horror, but mm-hmm. I set it in like the, the old West. And then I right. made, then I made the kind of like a frame of it. So it's like, like a report, kind of like how Lovecraft would do it, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. And then I just figured that the investigator who isn't in the story, he's just kind of like taking the statement. It's like, he would be a really good, noir western noir detective that like investigates <laughs> that investigates supernatural occurrences in it's, the old west that's so perfect that's exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> i'm glad someone understands <laughs> yeah. and it just came to me i just like wow you know when I, you went you know I, I don't know how you are but sometimes you just make a bit character you know like a side character and then you're just like, you're drawn to that character because that one's so much more interesting than what you're doing right now. 
mm-hmm. where yeah. that character can go. And then you can kind of, and I think a lot of times when people suffer from, from writer's block, that is what happens. Something more interesting, a, a more interesting story comes along and wants to be written. And it kind of like gets in your way. I, that's what I tell the people, the writers I mentor all the time. I say you're writing on something that you're not interested in. If you want to chase, you know, the rabbit down the rabbit hole, just go for it. You know, yeah. worked for Alice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, you, which I understand, you can't do that all the time. I'm under pressure of a deadline, and I'm working on a piece that I'm not thrilled about. Um, but you know, it's like, eh, I have a deadline, so I should just, you know, I got to get it done. Mm. And working, learning to work through that, of course, is very valuable. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly what. I think that's exactly what writer's block is. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, how does it work when you craft a story? How do, How is your your mo? Like my process? Yeah, I mean, do are you uh, a person that? And I think a lot of people. I mean, some people don't don't even think about how they do it, and some people are very detailed. Are you a detailed person? You have to have every outline ready. For every chapter, or are you more of a fly by the seat of your pants? Um, yes and no. Um, so as a as a teacher, I've taught English for so many years, and um, I I also have a very bad memory. So combining that, I have to write down everything, or I'll forget it. Um, and if I don't know where I'm going, then that's another writer's block. If I don't outline, mm. I'm like, oh, I don't know where this is going, and and I don't want, just want to write, you know. 2,000 words that I'm going to cut, which I also do, and turns out it's okay. You can cut several thousand words, and it's still okay. Um, but I do um, do research. Um, I do outline. I'll even outline a short story. Um, and sometimes I'll go in and outline a chapter and then the scenes within that chapter. But other times um, I'm writing, and I have the outline for that chapter, and it's like, oh, hold up something much more important and way more cool can happen here. So now I have to write, you know, that 5,000 word section. Then I'll go back to the planned chapter. Mm-hmm. So it's a little of this, a little of that. Yeah. Do you have a, do you, do you have like a writer philosophy or somebody like a writer that you, like you follow or you, you've understood their process and you've kind of, or discussed it with them and feel like that is the process that I expect aspire to at all or or is it all by yourself you know your own um i have i've talked to um only two uh famous authors um about their process and one was r.a salvatore which was Mm. you know just the coolest thing ever at the time it's Um, pretty i think i would say that it's pretty cool still yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but a lot of it comes from uh, reading books. I have shelves of books on writing, how to write, and then niche books like how to write epic fantasy or you know the science fiction world builder's guide. Um, so I'm definitely in the company of great minds is writing. <laughs> um, and um, I have gone back and forth a little bit with um, – Twitter. Oh my gosh, I can't remember his name all of a sudden. Um, but he wrote um, the Fantasy Writer's Guide. 
I can't remember his name all of a sudden. Of course I can't because I'm on the spot. Um, but I go back and forth a little bit with him on Twitter. I read his blogs and comment on them. Um, but I've definitely taken from a bunch of writers' philosophies. I have a very nomadic philosophy, very mm -hmm. patch or quilt. Um, and I just take what works for me. And I have sat down and written out my philosophy. I am very aware of my process. Um, and I'm also very aware of my students' processes. And because of all this knowledge and all these ways of doing one thing that I am aware of, I get to find what works best for them. Hmm. So when you talk about mentoring uh, writers, are those the writers that you talk about, your students, or are, do you have a different mentoring program? Because you've mentioned it a couple of times that you mentor writers. Mm. Is that what you're, what you're talking about? Or um, So I, I'm a teacher at a, yeah. at a college, um, so I, I teach those students and I, I, you know, share with them that I have um, two aspiring writers that I mentor, and mm. it's because they're my friends. Um, that I know personally. I have thought about doing a mentor program, um, but someone who came to me of their own free will for mentoring is different than people who I corralled. And I was like, I know you, you write. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, because I, I think I follow, I try to follow Stephen Donaldson's writing um, kind of philosophy, which is take something familiar and put it in something in an unfamiliar setting, mm -hmm. which doesn't always work. I mean, it works if you're writing Thomas Covenant, but it doesn't always <laughs> work in all, in all instances. But I try at least. I try to, to put something that I know into an environment, even if it's a character that I know or a character built upon a person that I know and put them in an unfamiliar setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is a good one. Um, Sanderson also, uh, Brandon Sanderson talks mm -hmm. about something very similar um, where he says, give the audience something they're familiar with and then turn it on its head. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I uh, try to follow that, especially in uh, my genre fiction, um, in fantasy, like, oh, this is, you know, a fantasy world stuff, you know, but not <laughs> and try and change it up and... Uh, um, just to kind of lure them in, get them to read, and then give them something fresh. Mm. I have another question that I just have to ask mm -hmm. um, about fantasy and world building. Does your fantasy stories, do your fantasy stories tend to take place in the same world, or do you build a new world every time? Um, <laughs> up until recently, I've built a new world every time, and it is very draining um, and extremely exhausting, and I've had to tell myself that it's okay to write a different story in the same world. Um, I have three major ones that I'm working with right now, and I planned a, uh, a quintet in this one world just because of all the research <laughs> and world building that I put into it. And I was like, no, this, this has to go for more than one book. <laughs> Um, but I try and be very thorough um, and do a lot of research and make them very vivid uh, and different. Um, but yeah, right now, everything that I'm writing and putting out looks like it's all in different worlds. But the stuff I'm working on is going to take place in um, some similar worlds over again. 
Yeah, because I was more or less with my own interest because my fantasy stories all are all set in the same world, although they're in different countries that are are very can be different. And I have yeah. like a whole map. I have like every single country, like the terrain, religion, yep. how they're ruled, what kind of beasts live there. That's all like decided. So when I sit down and write, it's like, oh, this story could fit right here, or I say. Let's put this these characters in this world and see what happens when they are challenged with, with a whole desert landscape that they're not used to. Yeah, that's um, the quintet I'm writing. That's exactly what it is. Got the whole world. Everything is very different. Um, and uh, I, I'm excited to get into the different continents and the different cultures mm. um, and see what I can see what I can come up with and how my main characters interact with those. Uh, different societies it should be fun yeah yeah no i think it's fun i think it's challenging as a writer too to try to do that mm -hmm. um the characters in in that are in my different stories who are i mean I, I have yet to use the same character twice uh but they they make references to things that are happening or have mm -hmm. happened in the other in mm -hmm. the other stories just because like oh did you hear that this is going on or no, kind of like how you do when you play in a, a role-playing game. Like, oh, there happens to be like a, a plague in, in this place. So we'll see. Try to avoid that. Right. <laughs> yes. Or Civil War. Always good. Yes, the Civil War is always. That's always popular. A popular one. <laughs> always North versus the South. <laughs> kind of. Bar the barbarians versus the civilized. So what's the, what's going on for for Summerstorm Press now? I think our time is kind of uh, winding right. down. But what um, what is going on? Like books coming out? Are you thinking about mainly focusing on anthologies right now, or is there opportunities to get full length novels published with with you uh, with Summerstorm stuff like that? Um, yes. So right now I am only doing my novels through the, uh, the label of Summerstorm Press um, just because I want to see exactly what I can do before I offer that to somebody else and, and disappoint them, <laughs> basically. Um, but I do have plans to take on other people's novels, um, you know, once I have the, the system in place. Um, currently, I have four anthologies planned for this year. Mm -hmm. um, I have the covers, I've got the blurbs and everything, but they're not up yet <laughs> for suspense. Um, uh, so four definitely this year uh, with potential for six. Um, but it depends again on, you know, how much time I have because I don't want to do a subpar job. I want to do a really good job and I want to do well by the authors who hand me these stories. Um, but um, so, yeah, right now, just the four. Um, and I am paying for the stories, so all the authors who do make it into the anthologies will be paid that's, on a per-story basis. That's nice. Um, How are yeah. you doing it? Are you doing it uh, word uh, count, or are you just doing it flat fee for, for stories? Um, flat fee, because the anthologies I'm doing this year currently are um, only going to be accepting stories between 3,000 and 9,000 words. Mm. Um, but there might be some wiggle room, you know, depending on how just absolutely amazing the, the, <laughs> the story that goes over or under is. Um, so that's not solid, but yeah, just a flat, um, a flat royalty per story. 
Um, and then they'll all get, of course, their, their e-copies uh, yeah. for free as well. But your plan is to do both e-books and uh, paper books, paperbacks. Um, yeah, well, uh, and hardback. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. We'll yeah. Be doing, uh, yeah, we'll be doing e-books, paperbacks, and hardbacks. Mm -hmm. um, another question as it pertains to that part, are you planning on, because that also seems, I don't know, I haven't actually spoken to, to other publishers on, on mm -hmm. why, but I've noticed, like, for instance, if I just take two, two examples, Erie River Press, they have their books available on Amazon uh, and Barnes and Noble. Whereas, like, for instance, Nocturnal Sirens that I've also talked to, they only have them on Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, which also allow kind of being living here in Europe currently um, means that, for instance, friends of mine can't buy those books from the oh. online retailers that are stationed here. Um, mm. They can obviously order them from Amazon, but that takes forever. Uh, <laughs> there is no Amazon here. Um, in this in this part of the world um, so so they usually they would want to go through you know a regular their mm -hmm. online retailer and so the books that are available on Barnes and Noble they are usually available mm -hmm. internationally as well mm -hmm. um, is that something that you think about or is that something that you've considered or do you know anything about that process at all um, no I do actually um, I worked for Barnes and Noble for a while um, and um, I wanted to get my books through other publishers into Barnes and Noble, but unfortunately I can't because in my contract with my current publisher, I cannot speak on behalf of the publisher, so I can't do that. Okay. Um, but it's me being the publisher with the other books, um, or like with Summerstorm Press's anthologies and any novels I do through there, um, I do have a system um, and uh, to get them into Barnes and Noble, the paperback printer um, that I'm going to be using uh, gets them into Barnes and Noble as well. Um, and then and I will also be trying uh, to put together a way to contact uh, local bookstores. I'm mm -hmm. doing it for myself and for a couple other authors right now. Um, doing it that far away would probably be difficult, but it's a challenge I'm willing to do for my authors. Um, getting them into these other stores, contacting them. Hi, I represent Summerstorm Press. Would you be interested? You know, <laughs> um, and uh, and you know they don't even have to. It's not a big risk for them. They can only no. they could buy a couple copies, you know, and then the author goes in and says, "Hey, I'm the author of this book. Here's my card." And um, I yes, I definitely am going to work very hard to get my authors into local stores and then into the international sellers as well. Mm -hmm. That's very, that's very cool. Um, I think that local, because I think a lot of people who are, you know, you know, local hometown heroes or whatever wrote a book. And mm -hmm. I think it's probably beneficial for both publisher and author um, to, to be able to say like, oh, hey, in this small Midwestern town, my book is in the local mm -hmm. bookshop. Yes. Yeah. I'm a big fan of local stores. I've, um, before I moved, I did a lot of, you know, workshops for local authors and uh, the libraries as well. There's a lot of places to get your books into, mm -hmm. and it just takes time and, you know, the, the gusto and fervor <laughs> to get to go out and get it done. Very cool. So when can we see, um, when can we see the first, when is the plan for the first Summerstorm Press anthology to, uh, to come out? When, do, when should people start looking for it? 
Um, so our first one, Winter's Vindication, All Things Winter, um, is going to be published on January 15th. And um, I know some people said, well, I want it for Christmas, but I didn't want it to be a Christmas anthology. <laughs> <No>. so, <laughs> um, so January 15th is when that first one will be out. And then the second one we're looking at June 15th. And then the rest are TBD. <laughs> yeah. And if one is interested in buying any of your books, obviously not the first one. Um, <laughs> It's okay, it's hidden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, is, what is your latest work that you would like to promote? Um, I had my uh, romance turn urban sword and sorcery <laughs> come out um, this month. It's called These Darker Streets. Um, you might only be able to find it on Amazon. I'm not quite sure the range of my publisher's uh, distribution. Um, but you can find it on my website as well. Mm. Um, there is an ebook version, so if you don't want to, you know, wait on the Amazon, then you can get the ebook version. And any sales, I appreciate. So <laughs> very nice, very nice. Um, and um, yeah, and I think where can people find you on the internet, on social, the social media, if one wants to follow you or see what's going on, your homepage. Um, I do have a website. Uh, my personal website is abigaillinhart.com. And on there, you'll find links to uh, my author Facebook. I have a Twitter account, but I don't use it often. Um, I am also active on twitch.tv, which mm -hmm. is also linked on that website where I live stream as often as I can. What do you live stream? Um, video games. Okay. So I game as well. <laughs> fantasy games mostly or yeah i have a group of boneheads that um i play things like valorant uh, league of legends um and overwatch with mm -hmm. very very cool uh i don't know how you have time to do all these things like uh... live stream <laughs> publish write mentor <laughs> be a teacher lots of outlining and planning yeah, well... <laughs> That I think is where we see it differ. I am yeah. a poor, <laughs> poor planner. Uh, my colleagues, because I'm a teacher as well, my, my colleagues mm -hmm. keep asking me, how do you, how do you manage to do all these things? Because I coached my daughter's soccer team for a while and did other things, and I just like you know what, the trick is to do it very everything very poorly. I kind of agree. Uh, I am a jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> well, it was uh, delightful talking to you. Wish you all the best of luck with Summerstorm Press. Uh, yeah, if people want to, um, uh, would want uh, if they want to submit manuscripts, where they go, where do they go to then? That would probably be some good information to have. Yeah, so they'll want to go to summerstormpress.com. And you'll want to go under the tab that says for authors. So mm -hmm. the anthologies tab is like for buying and wholesale and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, summerstormpress.com underneath the tab that says for authors. Okay, excellent. Well, I would like to thank you for, for coming on the show and talking to us about everything, mostly fantasy and some summerstorm press. Working around uh, time zones. Oh, no, that's what that's what we do here. <laughs> I have uh, two more coming up 
uh, interviews in this week and they're all different. I mean, everybody's in the States, but the time zones are so different. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I've, got, I've got the time and it's not a big problem. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. fun a lot of information if you are interested in anything that abigail is doing definitely check out our show notes to find out where you can contact her and if you're a writer and you're interested in uh, submitting stuff to summerstorm press uh, go check that out too i would uh, very much recommend it i'd like to thank everyone for listening for tuning in I would also uh, like to thank Abigail for coming on the show. And I'd like to thank John Haltman for creating the music for this episode, as always. Um, all the other news that I spoke to you about at the beginning of the show, um, I'll keep you updated. Follow me on my homepage on Facebook. Uh, if you like the show, tweet it out, rate it, follow it on Spotify. Just keep those numbers. Uh, rising because uh, that's why we do this um, yeah and otherwise stay safe and I'll talk to you next week bye